Well, good morning again. How do we keep going when we feel like we are lost? Anyone here ever gone bushwhacking before? Yeah, adventurous, out, outdoorsy crowd here. Bushwhacking is where you go hiking off trail. And I want to invite you to come with me on a trip that I took back in August of 2016. I love hiking in the White Mountain National Forest, and I love going camping right there, out in the middle of the forest. It's been a couple days out there. I'm slowly making my way through some of the 4,000 footers, very, very slowly making my way. Um, and a couple years ago, I did a lot of research because I wanted to maybe up the ante a little bit. Um, so I found this secluded mountain pond. Secluded mountain pond called Kerrigan Pond. Yeah, we're going to zoom in. You see it right there, the little one? There's no trail that goes there. I did a lot of research about it, and I could only find four pictures online of anybody who'd ever even been there. I was like, I was hooked. We had to do it. We had to go. So I convinced a couple of friends to come join me. Um, and our plan was to climb to the, the top of Mount Kerrigan, and then we were going to hike down the ridge line and come right down to this beautiful, beautiful pond. So imagine you're there with me going bushwhacking. The going is tough. Let me tell you, the going is very, very tough. It's steep. You got your compass in front of you. You've got your course set. You're making your way. First problem, it's incredibly steep. Second problem, all the trees are those little tiny spruce trees that are about this far apart, and you've got to like wedge your way through it. The guy in front of you is just every branch is just slapping you in the face. I had so many scratches. Imagine you're there with me. So you plod your course, you're following your compass, but you also kind of got to follow the terrain. And the thicker it is, the more easy it is to get a little bit off course. Very, very difficult terrain. You feel totally blind when you're in this type of terrain. You have no idea where you are. And it's so, so easy to get off course. So hours later, you know, hours into this thing, you're starting to feel really, really tired. You know, one more branch in the face and you're like, okay, can we even turn around at this point? Do I have any idea where I am? And then you see a little bit of a clearing ahead. You see a little bit of a clearing ahead, but you have no idea where you are. And as soon as you get through that last little tree, you see this. Like, that, that's not a pond. <laughs> that is no mountain pond. That is a cliff. And you're, what happens? Your heart drops out. Like, this is not where we were supposed to go. You realize you are totally and utterly lost. <laughs> the compass says, keep going in this direction. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you, you realize you have no idea where you are, and the, the path in front of you is totally impossible. It's impassable. You can't keep going. So what do you do? You take your pack off. You pull out the map, right? So you've got to pull out that map. We got it here. How do you keep going when it feels like you're lost? You pull out the map. But a map is totally and utterly useless if you don't know how to read it when you have no idea where you are. Okay, there's no sign that says you're here. So this is it's totally like, it might as well be in Chinese. This is gobbledygook if you don't know how to read it. 
it's really actually best use is for kindling at that point, for a signal fire, and you wait for the helicopter to come. A map means nothing if you don't know how to read it. But if you know how to read the map, you can tell contour lines. And actually, that cliff is a point on the map that you can actually see directly where you are. You can see directly where you are. You've taken it and you know you're here. The cliff that felt like hopelessness, like fear, that sinking feeling in your gut, was actually the very thing that reminds you exactly where you are. And you can set a new course and you can find your way to that little pond. And we did get there and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. This is exactly what our passage is about this morning. I'm going to take a minute, but this is exactly what our passage is about this morning. We're taking a look at 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18, as we continue our study in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Remember where we are in this letter. This is a letter that was written about 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. And there was this little church that Paul planted in the middle of Greece, in Thessalonica. And he was forced to be separated from them. And so this letter was his connection back into them as he's pouring into them, encouraging them to grow more and more. In chapter 4, um, we've, we've transitioned to Paul's encouragement for them as they continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. And the first week in, in chapter 4, we saw how Paul had turned to the topic of sex. This was a really important thing for them to think through what it means to follow Jesus in regards to this. And last week, we talked about the care within the family. And so we're like, okay, where's this going next? You know, sex, family, and now this week is going to feel like a total left turn. But remember, it's still in the context of discipleship. Something terrible has happened. In the short time since Paul was with them and was separated from them and is now writing this letter, somebody in that church family has died. Someone has passed away and the Thessalonians have questions. So let's read the text together. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You can find it in a few Bibles on page 958 if you haven't found it already. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. When we met together uh, as a preaching team three weeks ago, Joel Uh, came to me as we were first taking a look at this text and he said, oh, this is going to be easy. 
you can just take all the notes that you've already used in the past for all the funerals you've done, and this is the text. This is the passage. I'm like, yes, that's right. This will be easy. Except I said, you know what? It would be really nice to preach this not at a funeral. It would be really nice to dig into this text not at a funeral. And pretty immediately I realized, in the life of a church, you're never more than like a week away from somebody going through a period of mourning. For the body of believers this, this big, I know that death is, is, is near for many of us. It's something we've tasted even recently. And I want you to know this morning, tears are okay. Because grief and mourning are totally good and right responses to death. In fact, grief can sometimes lead to anger and questions with God, and that is okay. Remember, the Psalms even give us voice to articulate that. That's okay. And Paul even begins by saying that. The goal is not to convince you not to grieve. But what he does say is we don't stay there. In fact, he says we grieve in a different way. It's more than just a sermon for funerals. Because secondly, this passage isn't a eulogy. It's not said to honor the dead. It's a passage for the living. And as I said, this is part of a whole chapter where Paul has turned and he's caring for this church as disciples and he's encouraging them to grow in their trust of Jesus more and more. So that's what we're after today. In our passage, it may remind us of how death can cause us to grieve. It may remind us how death makes us feel like we have hit a cliff and we are totally and utterly lost. But it has an answer to this question. How do we keep going when we feel like we are lost? And our prayer this morning, the answer is live with courage, knowing the hope that defeated death. So the first thing we need to see from this passage that Paul has for us is we need to get informed to know and remember that we know hope. Paul writes for one purpose, to be informed to know. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul is saying that when you receive the news of death, it can rock you to the core. It can bring up all sorts of questions. What has happened to them? Will I ever see them again? Are they okay? Am I going to be okay? These questions are real and they're normal. And they're very good questions. But when we receive the news of death, we aren't just left holding questions. We have answers. The problem of discipleship this morning is about being informed. What are those answers? Do you know? We do not want you to be uninformed. We want to inform you. And Paul has two things to say. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is a very concise reminder of the gospel event itself. And we studied this this past summer, the good news in this series. We talked about how the gospel is primarily news. Something has happened. An event has happened. And now everything has changed. The God who made everything, who made you and me, who holds everything together, the one who we could never stand in his presence because of sin, this God has come to the earth in the form of a man, Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the dead. That is the gospel. 
And notice this, this reads kind of like a creed, kind of like something you'd memorize. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. We could recite this as a church maybe someday. It's like a creed. I think it's something that was meant to be memorized. He's saying, know that Jesus did this. And so, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. Now what happened to Jesus will happen to you. To those who put their faith in Jesus, all those who are in relationship to Jesus, when you place your faith in Him, what is true of Him is true for us. This is astonishing. And this is the Gospel. The good news. But there's something else that Paul wants to inform them about as well. And it's a big deal. Jesus is coming back. Verse 15, according to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven. Jesus is coming back. Now they already know this. We know this from some of the other passages. But Paul says, don't be uninformed about what that means. Jesus has not only died, He's coming back. And that changes everything. When you know these two things, you know how to read the map. You know how to handle every moment that you feel like you are lost. And you're able to step forward in life courageously. These two events, they change even the one thing that we all fear most. Death. This is the hope we know. It's the hope that defeated death. Now we have a saying that nothing in life is certain except death and taxes. Death is certain. We will all die. Death is a part of what it means to be human even. We say Jesus has defeated death, yet we recognize that believers will still die. This doesn't mean that people won't die. We will all die. It's getting really morbid in here. But what Jesus has done is change the game altogether. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. The rest of mankind who have no hope. This was so true in ancient Greece. The Greek poet Theocritus said this, very encouraging, Hopes are for the living. The dead are without hope. There was a woman who uh, lived right alongside of uh, Paul in about 50 AD. And she heard that a friend's husband had passed away. And so she wrote this very encouraging note to console her friend. And these are the words that she gave. But nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. Death is certain and it is final. This was true in ancient Greece. You can't do anything. People who have died don't come back. We know this. Anything else is just myth. It's just an alternate reality. You need to open your eyes to the truth. And isn't that what a funeral looks like today to a secular world? We can hold on to memories. We can spend 10 grand on a tombstone obelisk. But that's it. Like the soldier I told you about back in week one of this series. The soldier who's an atheist. And he came to me and he said, as an atheist, 
I believe this life is all I got. So I just want to make the best of it. When you die, that's it. The body goes into the ground, period, and a sense. But Jesus, we do not want you to be uninformed. You don't have to grieve like those who have no hope because guess what? There is a hope and it's a good one. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians goes so far as to taunt death. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? The news of the gospel changes everything. Jesus has utterly changed the rules. Verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise. The funeral for Hazen Ward, Corey's father, was just a couple weeks ago. And it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. It was a beautiful moment. There was grieving. But it wasn't like grieving without hope. There was hope. And the pastor told this really funny story that I loved. So I'm going to share it again. He said there was a little town out in western New York where there was just one florist in town. And on a given Saturday, there was a couple events going on in town and they were pretty busy. They had two different things to do. There was a, a bank with a new location in town and they had to send an arrangement to the bank. And there was also a funeral happening at the funeral home. Unfortunately, the florist mixed up the arrangements. So the people at the bank got the, the flower arrangement, they opened up the card, and it said, we're so sorry for your loss. That's a really bad omen for a new bank. <laughs> but the family at the funeral home opened their card, and it said, congratulations on your new location. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It really was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. One with hope. Jesus was raised from the dead. His body was raised up from the grave. We're going to celebrate that on Easter. And that's what these candles are pointing towards. We're getting close. And Paul says, all of those who are found to be united to Jesus in relationship through faith with Him will one day rise up literally from the grave. And our new location will be to be with Him forever in the new heavens and new earth. This is the basis of the Christian hope. We can grieve, but we also can celebrate because we have a hope in Jesus. And Jesus has defeated the finality of death's victory. But there's actually something else that Jesus has defeated. He's defeated the sting of death's separation. And this is actually what it looks like the people of that church were asking about. You read between the lines and you can see maybe a question that forms. And it's something to the effect of, what is going to happen to those who just died? Will they miss out? Will they be disadvantaged in some way? Will we get to see them again? Because I miss them. That is the sting of separation. And when you read this passage, you see that Paul spends more time than anything saying this. Be informed. Separation does not win. That sting does not win. Verse 17, we will be caught up together. 
In fact, not only will we be caught up together with those that we love and miss again, but we will all be forever with the one who ultimately satisfies us most, the living God, Jesus. We will be with him forever. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So when you add these two things together, you see we know the hope that defeated death. And actually we're going to finish up by by going where we started. This is for the living. This passage is about life here and now. So how does Paul finish his discipleship concern? We live with courage. Remember where we started in this chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. This is a passage for the living. And Paul is laying out the map for us here and now. and says, if you know Jesus, you know how to read the map. And even death isn't just a cliff, it's a place to be reminded of exactly where you are. And this morning maybe has brought up those moments for you. The moment where you first got the phone call. Or that moment where you sat by a loved one's bed and held their hand. It is good and it is right to grieve. Each one of us, I'm sure, has lost someone we wish was still here. One of my jobs as an army chaplain is to do death notifications. So I go with a casualty assistance officer and the two of us go up to a family's door. And sometimes we're the first people to notify a family that their son or their daughter, their husband or their wife, their parents have passed away. And those are terribly hard moments, but they're also really holy moments. They're really holy moments. And I've seen grief without hope. Death makes them feel like they're lost, like they've, they've run into a cliff. And I've sat with those who felt the pain of their loss, but they know exactly where they are. I've sat with those who do not grieve like the rest. They grieve with hope. And somehow this most terrible news possible, imaginable, is actually a moment to maybe even be reminded of how much Jesus loves you and to know that we have a future that changes everything about how we live here and now. Paul is laying out the map before us and says, if you know what Jesus has done for you and believe that he is coming back for you, you can live with courage even in the face of death. You can even celebrate in the face of death. This passage isn't just for funerals, it's for the living. And Paul concludes by saying this, therefore encourage one another with these words. You break apart this word encourage, it is to give courage. Give courage to one another. And the basis of our courage is the knowledge of what Jesus has done to be informed about it. So live with courage, give courage to one another. And the picture that emerges is so beautiful. Live with courage knowing the hope that has truly defeated death. Let me ask this morning, how do we respond? We need to know hope. 
Let me ask you, do you know the hope? The hope. Being informed isn't just about knowing the details. We worship a God who wants us to know Him personally, who wants to know you personally. You can know Jesus today. You can experience His love today, the hope in relationship with Him. And I want to invite you, after this service is over, if you want to come talk to me about that, please do. Find anybody with a white name tag. Find a friendly face in the pew next to you if you want to hear more about this hope in Jesus. Do you know this hope? But secondly, remember this passage is about discipleship for the living. About growing to follow Jesus more and more. Trusting Him more and more. And this is the picture I think that emerges. We can grow to encourage one another with these words. And this gets back to our series as a whole. Do you grieve like those who have no hope when it comes to many things, when it comes to your job, when it comes to your finances, your relationships, your marriage? When you walk through uncertainty, do you grieve like those who have no hope or do you trust that the God who sent His one and only Son on your behalf, that you would have eternal fullness of life walking with Him in relationship with Him through all uncertainties. He loves you so very, very much. Do you know that? If you've met Jesus, you have undoubtedly heard the good news before. You may be aware of it, but there's a difference between being aware and knowing it deeply. Living courageously and differently from others because of it. I think there's something very specific for us to take away this morning. Paul says, encourage each other with these words. As I said earlier, Paul's response sounds, it sounds like a creed. It sounds like something to be memorized. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think he's saying, memorize these words. So, live in this letter. Live in this book that these words infiltrate every part of your being. Live in this book. And the more that you dig into God's Word daily, the more you let it soak into the very fabric of your life, the more it begins to give direction as a cliff arises. And when you feel like you're bushwhacking along in life and the spruce trees are just slapping you in the face and all of a sudden you emerge and it's a cliff in front of you, you will remember the Gospel. It's the one key to everything. It's how you read the map. And you'll realize exactly, exactly where you are. So as you go home today, take this book and slide it a little closer on your nightstand. Take it and toss it right in the middle of your dining room table. May it be at the center of your lives. Live in these words so that you can encourage one another. You can live courageously with these words. So let's finish up. We know a future that gives direction to our present. 
be informed about what Jesus has done and about what he's going to do. In every circumstance, including death, which stands like a cliff in your path, can be nothing more than a moment to be reminded and encouraged exactly where you are. It's a moment to say, let me pull out the map. And when you know Jesus, you know how to read it. You can see exactly where you are in the loving arms of Jesus. And you can hear these words. Paul's letter to the Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword, even death, nothing can separate us from Him. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So let's live with courage knowing the hope that defeated death. Will you pray with me? All glory be to You, Lord Jesus. Our risen Lord. There is no greater hope than You, Jesus. We are so, so thankful for all that You are. We are so thankful for Your love that You did not leave us in our sin that You came to earth and You died on our behalf. That You have done all of the work to bring us to You. That is the perfect picture of love. So God, we worship You. Open our eyes up to how that changes everything. Lord, as we leave this place, as we finish up our time this morning, God, may this not just be a Sunday morning, but may this infiltrate every part of our lives. May we know deeply the hope that we have in You, Lord Jesus. What a joy it is to know You, God. We love You. We worship You. You are so, so good to us. We pray that You continue to open our eyes to these words, what they mean for us, how they change our lives. May we be, may have our eyes open to You that we may hear Your Spirit on the move. You are so good to us. We praise You this morning. May this text simply be a praise to You. All glory to You, Lord Jesus. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.